If you're in the bunting business, this is your time to shine. Political convention season is upon us. Over the next two weeks, Republicans and Democrats will hold their quadrennial national conventions, four-day advertisements for their parties and their presidential nominees. The goal of these things is to show a unified, excited party ready to take it to the hustings ahead of November's general election. But both Republicans and Democrats might have a tougher time thanks to these two bruising primaries both parties have been through and nominees who are still deeply unpopular with the American public, according to opinion polls. But it's clear that when it comes to showing a happy, united, and ready-for-action political party, the tougher sell is the Republicans. The GOP needs to show it's having a great time in the era of Donald Trump. They signed a pledge saying they will abide, saying they will back the candidate of the party. And now they sit back and the pledge is out there and the press doesn't even go after them on that. They've broke their word, in my opinion, they should never be allowed to run for public office again because what they did is disgraceful. Meanwhile, a group of delegates from the hashtag never Trump camp are still trying to figure out how to derail Trump at the convention. And he may be the Republican Party's presumptive nominee, but one Colorado delegate says she will never vote for Donald Trump. They call themselves the conscience of a party that's lost its way. The nonprofit called Delegates Unbound says that they have done the legal checking and they say delegates are free to vote as the delegate chooses. So how's that gonna go? This is No One Knows Anything, the politics podcast from BuzzFeed News. I'm Evan McMorris-Santoro. Today, we're going to talk about next week's Republican National Convention with two reporters who are already on the ground covering it. We got Tarini Party from BuzzFeed News. Hi, Tarini. Hi. And Rosie Gray from BuzzFeed is also with you. Hi there, Evan. <laughs> Why are you laughing? That just sounded ominous to me. It sounded ominous. Yeah. So, Rosie and Tarini... I thought the convention started next week on TV, and we're going to see the balloons get dropped and Trump comes out, but you guys are already in Cleveland. What are you doing there? What are you covering out there? So the convention does start next week, but this week, before it actually officially begins, there are delegates and you know party officials who are here in Cleveland basically meeting to determine the party's platform. And also the party's rules. So those committee meetings are taking place this week. What is a rules committee? It's a committee that basically decides on rules that govern like the functioning of the party and how they nominate their nominee. And Tarini, you've been covering a lot of platform committee stuff. What is a platform committee? Sure. Yeah. So a platform committee has delegates. uh, There are more than 100 delegates who come from all over the country to decide what the Republican Party stands for and what policies they believe in. So platform actually just finished up yesterday and Trini will be able to. Trini had a long day yesterday. Many, many, many (laughs) hours. (laughs) And then rules uh, starts tomorrow. Okay, so a lot of stuff going on. And we're going to drill into that platform stuff. But first, let's talk about this whole never Trump delegate thing that we talk, you and I both talked about earlier on a previous episode, but it's like it's still, it's still going in Cleveland. How is this week related to it? 
Okay, so basically, the Never Trump movement has almost run out of options. They did not beat Trump at the ballot box. And now their only chance left to stop him from being nominated is that is to find a way that, you know, bound delegates, so delegates who are required to cast their vote for him at the convention as a result of both party rules and also different states have different, you know, rules regulating whether delegates have to vote for the winner of their primary, et cetera. Basically trying to make it so people can vote their conscience and not vote for Trump. And that would be a way to stop his nomination. Is this really a thing? Like, is it really possible that the delegates who don't want Trump could use this week of sort of planning and rulemaking to somehow get rid of Trump? So there's a couple of sort of groups that have sprung up uh, to organize the anti-Trump delegates. And so there's a group called Free the Delegates, and there's a group called Delegates Unbound. And they've actually sort of joined forces. They even have like a whole like text message system that's sending out updates and stuff. And basically what they're trying to do is make sure that they have enough support in the Rules Committee for a proposal that one of them has made called the Conscience Clause, which is what it sounds like. It's basically a proposal to change the rules so that delegates can vote their conscience instead of to the the candidate that they're bound. And that's going to come up in the Rules Committee this week. And in order to send it to the floor, they need 28 votes on the Rules Committee. And they're saying that they have it, but it's, it's impossible to know yet. So just to summarize this, so so what what they want to do, some delegates go to this convention and they're required, essentially, I mean, they're there, but they're essentially, they're, they're just like living numbers. They show up, they have to raise their hand and say, I'm for Donald Trump or whatever candidate that I'm bound to. And then that's basically it. And these guys are trying to change it so any delegate could sort of do what they want and vote for who they want. What do they want to do? Do they just want to just, do they have a candidate that they want to be the nominee? That's not Trump. Well, here's the problem is that that's exactly the issue. And this and by the way, I mean, this has been the problem like with the never Trump movement since the beginning, because they can't they can't agree on like who the person would be. And I'll give you an example of this. The other night they had like an organizing call and I was listening in on it. The delegates, I mean, like the anti-Trump delegates and the call ended. But a lot of people stayed on the line and it just turned into arguing about who they wanted the candidate to be like some people wanted Cruz some people wanted Scott Walker like there was one lady who wanted John Kasich and kept getting shouted down and so I thought that gave that that was like a pretty good (laughs) summing up of of one of the big problems here and and we'll know all this stuff about the rules by the end of the week it'll be like the end of day Friday we'll know Uh, we should know yeah (laughs) (laughs) no one knows all right no uh, one knows exactly yes don't jump the gun on no one knows all right all right that's the whole yeah i set the whole thing up to get there all right tarini now that you've jumped the gun let's move right into this platform thing that you've been covering because the platform the party platform first of all just tell us what is going on this party platform what is a party platform who who makes it like give me the give me like the 101 on party platforms sure so there's another committee called the Platform Committee, and it's made up of delegates uh, who have been meeting the past two days this week um, for, you know, yesterday lasted 12 hours. So a lot of time that they're putting into this document. Um, And it's basically an official document that says what the Republican Party stands for. The problem is no one actually reads this document, even though they spend so much time 
putting this thing together. Uh, so there's a lot of discussion of, you know, what even the purpose of this platform is and whether it should exist in its current form, whether that needs to be revised. And so there was this sort of movement bubbling uh, underneath the surface of maybe just cutting down the platform to 17 core principles. Uh, some of these people called themselves the Brevity Caucus. Um, and so that there was some discussion <laughs> of that uh, on Monday. Meanwhile, there was uh, there was some proposals being made to make the document a little bit more LGBT friendly. Just to be clear, so so the first thing is the platform is really just kind of a document that's made by delegates or by pe- people who are in the you know on the, on the platform committee to showcase what the Republicans believe. But if you're a Republican in Congress or a Republican in the White House. You have no obligation to do anything that this platform says. You can vote however you want, do whatever you want. It's not like the platform binds anyone to anything. Exactly. It's just kind of a list of things the Democrats or the Republicans say they say that they sort of collectively want, mm-hmm. right? There's sort of a division because some of the delegates are more policy focused and want to use the platform to influence the legislators, you know, Congress, state legislators, things like that. And the other side, the other delegates want to use it as an advertisement for the Republican Party and kind of use it to get Republicans elected. So when it comes to this LGBT issue, because I was reading about this LGBT stuff a little bit, what does the platform currently say and what is the argument about what they want it to say? So the platform currently defines marriage as a traditional marriage between one uh, one man and one woman. And the bathroom bill stuff, they added um, some language in there that basically says they salute states that are fighting the federal government, states like North Carolina that are currently uh, you know, fighting it out with the federal government on this bathroom bill issue. So the platform committee now has its first openly gay delegate. Uh, She actually made a very emotional plea to the delegates to sort of soften their stance um, on this issue. That failed. You know, she tried to get LGBT, just the words even inserted in different parts of the document, and those failed. For example, uh, there was some language in there in the national security part of the document where they talk about the attack in Orlando last month. And uh, there was an effort to put attack on the LGBT community in Orlando. So just adding those words and that failed too. a lot of delegates believe that, you know, they're not being they're not discriminating. Uh, They just don't want to play identity politics and they don't want to single out a specific group of people. But when they do talk about LGBT issues in the platform now, it's uh, in opposition to most of the things that the LGBT community wants to actually have legislatures do, right? Yes. And the, there was one moment where the first openly gay platform delegate got very emotional and said, you know, I know you don't believe uh, in, you know, my right to marry, but can you not at least, you know, support the LGBT, not a community not being killed by ISIS or being targeted by ISIS. Um, I'm very encouraged to report, especially to our friends uh, watching on C-SPAN around the country, that after my remarks yesterday about being a proud lesbian Republican, not a single person in this room has displayed any animosity, uh, hatred, um, 
toward me, at least not to my face. Um, but I do want to, or to urge all of you in this room who came up to me to say that you supported me as an individual, and even if you did not support my amendment yesterday, to support this amendment because if you do support me and people like me, then can you not at the very least stand up for our right to not be killed along with these other groups by people who want to bring harm not only to our country but to, uh, to people based on their identity. We saw that in the terrorist attack in Orlando. It was one month ago today. That was a targeted attack on the LGBT community for simply living in freedom as who they are. And um, it's important that we as a party, um, that you stand with me now, that you stand up for basic human rights um, against the LGBT community, Christians, Jews, and women. Thank you. Wow. So this is really, uh, you're, you're really watching sort of this pull and push between the party's sort of social conservative wing and the sort of more moderate wing that's been battling it out. Why did they come up with such a uh, socially conservative platform in an era when we're talking about how populist and kind of in the Trump era, we don't think about a lot of social issues being the top number one topic. Mm -hmm. But why did why such a socially conservative platform? What happened? I think a lot of these delegates and you see this, you know, within the Republican base that they just feel like they're everything that they believe is under attack right now. And they need to do everything they can to defend themselves from these attacks. And so a lot of these issues, uh, for example, abortion came up a lot, you know, gay rights. They inserted language wherever they could. And a lot of a lot of it was repetitive, uh, but they want no one to doubt, you know, their their pro-life stance um, that, you know, they they're not going to say they're anti-LGBT, but, you know, they definitely want people to know that they believe in the traditional definition of marriage. Is there a sense the people who have lost these fights because, uh, you know, as a as the platform was made more socially conservative than some people wanted, did you do you have the sense from some of the more moderate people that they're worried about what that might mean for them down the road in terms of making more people vote Republican? A lot of people are worried about this. Uh, some of the more more moderate delegates told me that, you know, they're concerned because they don't want to be seen as the party that discriminates. But at this point, I mean, it, there just doesn't seem like any effort to change that would succeed. You know, a lot of uh, the delegates are very conservative and they're very happy this time around. Some of them told me, you know, back in uh, 2012 and 2008, it was a huge battle because they wanted the platform to be much more conservative than McCain's campaign wanted it to be. And at the end of the day, the platform committee did their platform. And then um, the uh, apparently the McCain campaign also distributed their own version that was less conservative uh, during the convention. Where is Donald Trump and his forces in all this are they walking around this week trying to shut down the the never trump you know thing that you know the the rules change and trying to influence the platform well they're certainly they're certainly watching closely what happens you know i saw like there were trump people sort of watching the platform and the rules committee meetings uh you know in the back of the room sort of like keeping an eye on things and of course you know there are like trump loyalists or people who are like reconciled to the Trump nomination and just want it to happen, uh, serving on these committees as well. So I, I would say definitely the Trump side of things is watching this very closely. And I would not say, I, my impression is not that they're necessarily worried about how it's going to turn out, but they are taking steps to, for example, prevent that conscience clause rules change from happening. Yeah, and on, and on the platform side, um, he did get the wall 
uh, proposal in the platform. One of his loyal uh, delegates introduced that in a subcommittee and it passed and it'll be in the platform. So he'll, he'll have something to tell his supporters that, you know, he did, although the platform, as you mentioned, is not binding, he did get his proposal at least somewhere already. Okay, so let's talk about what's coming up next week. It seems to me that the idea of this whole thing, this whole convention, like two weeks ago, was that a lot of people in the Republican Party were really disgusted by Trump, and he was going to find it impossible to find anyone to speak at the convention. Primetime speaking slots were going to be unfilled. That didn't really exactly play out, right? Yes, we just don't know the whole we don't have a list yet because the Trump campaign keeps delaying putting it out there. But we know some of the top guys in the party are going to be there. Paul Ryan, Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, head of the Republicans in the House, uh, Ted Cruz, obviously the senator from Texas and Donald Trump's chief opponent near the end. They're all speaking on stage. Yes, they'll be speaking. Uh, Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, said yesterday he will be there, too, uh, which is interesting since he's, you know, hasn't been taking questions on Trump and has been becoming pretty critical of him in recent weeks. Yeah. So I guess my point here is the stage at the Republican National Convention is going to look a lot like a stage usually looks like. It's going to have the guy who runs Republicans in the Senate, the guy who runs Republicans in the House, the top elected official. People who are establishment figures in the party aren't staying away from Trump's convention. That's true. The leaders are going to be at the convention and will be speaking. You know, it'll look the same, but I think it'll be interesting to watch what they say and how closely they associate themselves and the party with Trump. You know, it could be one of those things where, you know, we saw in 2012 when Chris Christie gave his speech at the convention and really didn't even mention Mitt Romney, who was going to be the nominee, and he didn't even mention him. So it could be we could have a lot of those speeches this time. Honestly, I would be surprised if Paul Ryan, like, uttered the words Donald Trump for (laughs) the stage. (laughs) Yeah, I think there'll be a lot of references to our nominee uh, or something like that. Yeah, yeah, right. The. The person that you all know will be speaking later this week. Something like that. Yep. He um, who must not that, be named. That's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, okay. so that said, the fact that there are the establishment people going to be there, there are a lot of people who aren't going to be there. Yeah, I mean, some senators have tried to make excuses, but, but some are even being very open. We have Senator Ben Sass, who is uh, very much in the Never Trump uh, movement, And, you know, he's publicly said, uh, you know, he'd rather take his kids and go watch dumpster fires or something like that. Yeah. And um, and and Jeff Flake, the senator from Arizona, I think, said he had to mow his lawn. Yeah. (laughs) While he was laughing, as as he was laughing. So um, they're uh, they're really not even trying to hide, uh, you know, their their true feelings at this point. Some now now we know some are going even out of the country. They're not just escaping Ohio and Cleveland. They are leaving the country to go on congressional delegations overseas um, while the convention is going on. Um, So they have, you know, a solid excuse uh, in case someone asks. Do we have any sense of what you mentioned that we don't know what the speakers are or that Trump's campaign hasn't put out a list of what's going to happen? Do we have any sense of what this is going to be? Because Trump had talked about from the very beginning 
this is going to be a different kind of convention. It's going to be, you know, more like rock and roll than they usually are. Any sense out there in Cleveland what this thing is going to look like? Well, he said that he was going to release like this, you know, the like who is all, who is all speaking in the agenda and stuff last week. And it still has not happened. So we actually we don't know for sure. But I mean, obviously, like celebrities sometimes speak at these things like infamously there was that Clint Eastwood empty chair speech at the last RNC and so there is always some element of that but this year you know because Trump is sort of a celebrity kind of well-connected celebrity himself I think we we could see more of that yeah and I think the he wants to showcase his family uh, as he said a few times more so than past um, nominees have done so obviously you know the spouse of the nominee usually speaks but his kids will also probably uh, get prime time or some sort of you know good speaking slots they'll fill up a good chunk of time if other Republican uh, officials don't want to speak uh, we know Ted Cruz uh, is going to speak which is interesting uh, because Trump had you know said he won't allow anyone to speak at the convention unless that person uh, says that they're going to endorse the nominee. Ted Cruz hasn't even endorsed Donald Trump yet, and he's going to be speaking at yeah. the convention. If somebody is at home and thinking about next week, should they watch all four days of this prime time? You think this is going to be that good a convention that people should actually watch this one? Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to watch a convention ever, you should probably watch this one. And, it, you know, obviously there's the, the drama, potential floor fight kind of stuff. Uh, but in general, I mean, people like watching Trump rallies, as, you know, we've seen over the past few months um, with networks broadcasting the entire rallies. So this is just going to be, you know, a Trump rally on steroids for four days. So <laughs> it's probably good TV. Well, Rosie, Torini, this was awesome. Uh, we'll see you in Cleveland in a couple days. And um, thanks a lot, and uh, thanks for being on the show. See you soon. Bye, Evan. No One Knows Anything is on the road for convention season. Meg and I are headed to Cleveland to podcast from the convention hall, and after that, we're going to Philadelphia, where Democrats are having their convention. And if you'll be in Philadelphia that week, come to our live show. It's on Monday, July 25th, and we'll be there with other BuzzFeed podcasters, like Tracy Clayton from Another Round, and Katie Natopoulos and Ryan Broderick from Internet Explorer. You can get tickets now at historicalevent.splashthat.com. We'll also tweet out a link. Next time on No One Knows Anything. There was a plan in place when he launched this campaign that he would jump in at the beginning of the summer, saturate the media, and then he would still have the option to pull out in time to re-up his apprentice contract in the fall. Yeah, what the hell happened? BuzzFeed's McKay Coppins joins us. No One Knows Anything is produced by me, Meg Kramer. Editorial oversight comes from Catherine Miller and Eleanor Kagan. Production help from Julia Furlan and Antonia Sarahito. Our music is composed by Beauty Pill. Subscribe on iTunes to follow all of our convention coverage. Follow us on Twitter, we're at No One Knows, or email us at no one knows anything at buzzfeed.com. I'm your host, Evan McMorris Santoro. And we'll be back very soon with more things we don't know.